Okay, so I see some new faces again. So we are in the, uh, towards the end of our study on uprooting anger. This is a book by Robert Jones. So if you don't have that, we have a lot of copies of this over in the Resource Center. You might want to pick one of those up. Um, very helpful book that we've been studying. Uh, we found out that anger is much more um, pervasive than maybe we thought in the beginning. So uh, just, to, just to review, we do this almost every week. Let's see if we can figure out the definition of anger that we've been using throughout this study. What is anger, according to Robert Jones? Keywords. Yeah, <laughs> so give me a keyword. What's one of the keywords? Whole person. Whole person. Right. Active. Oh, sorry, active. That's yeah. the keyword. <laughs> right. sorry. There's, I mean, they're like, oh. yeah, there's lots of. <laughs> so the whole person, uh, different from maybe how a lot of people in the culture would, would say anger is just an emotion, or it's merely a chemical imbalance in their brain and then or it's just about other people doing things to you, and it just, no, it's your whole person active response, meaning that it is, it is your emotions, it is uh, in your brain chemistry, it is in your body, it's in your will and, the, and what you want to happen. So it's a whole person response, and it's active in, in that you are doing anger. It's not some kind of weird force that overtakes you. You are doing it uh, to people or, or things. So we, we do anger. It's a whole person, active response. What's another key phrase or keyword in there? Perceived injustice. Yes, yeah, so that's the last, the last phrase is, is perceived injustice or perceived evil. Okay. Yes, so it's our whole person, active response of negative moral judgment. So anger is, is when we see something or we believe something to be evil and we stand up and say that is wrong, that's evil, that's wicked, that needs to stop, or something else needs to start. So we are making a moral judgment when we are angry. Okay, so it has to do with our beliefs and our values are informing the way that we see things and we, in anger, say that's wrong. So whole person, active response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil, okay? And that is a, a pretty key phrase because perceived evil obviously means how, how I am seeing things, how I heard it. If I think it's evil, I will get angry at it. That's why we get angry is we're perceiving something as evil, making a judgment about it, and we are rah, we're angering at it. Right? So that's what anger is. Um, we've talked a lot about the different kinds of anger in Scripture, uh, how their God is angry. There, there's wrath in God. He is, but it's perfect. So divine anger is his perfect wrath and anger at sin. Okay, so um, then, so that's a category all to himself. We cannot be divinely angry. We're not God. But in on a human level, there are two types of anger, really, that we routinely get involved in. So we have the righteous anger, which is when our perception of what's evil aligns with Scripture. So when we are angry at sin, that is the start to a human righteous anger. When we are angry at things that inconvenience us, that is unrighteous anger. Okay, But there's also, just because I'm, I'm angry at something that is a sin, doesn't mean that my anger is going to be righteous. There are three components. We haven't reviewed this in a while. So think way back. What are the kind of the three components that make have to be in your anger to make it righteous. Talked about one already, how it's got to be at biblically defined sin. What else? Maybe it's been too long to... Yeah, one of them is it has to be concerned with God's kingdom and his concerns and not your own. Right. As to be oriented at God's kingdom, his concerns, his will, as revealed in Scripture... Not my own, my own agenda, my own convenience, my own comfort, all that kind of stuff. So it's got to be with God's concerns, not my own. And what's the third one? This one's, I think this one might be the hardest. It has to be done under self-control and done in biblical means. 
Your righteous anger will coexist with other godly attributes. Mercy, patience, gentleness, godliness. You cannot cuss somebody out in righteous anger. I cannot yell and intimidate someone who is weaker or stronger or less on the hierarchy of whether it's at work or in the family. If someone is underneath my authority and I intimidate them with my tone of voice, the volume of my voice, my physical uh, gestures, punching holes in walls, like that is, it cannot be done righteously. There's no righteous anger where that is a part of it. So those three things all have to be there or your anger is unrighteous. I can have my anger provoked by something that is sin and respond in unrighteous anger. So, learned a lot about that when we talked about um, how anger can be either something that's expressed loudly, visibly, or it can be something that you cram inside. So we had anger revealers and anger concealers. And we walked through, and we'll, we'll visit, revisit that chart again in today's lesson, but we, we walked through what it looks like to repent of both of those. So if you're someone who sighs, even though that's not very loud, if you sigh to get somebody to know that you're angry, that's a revealing, you're revealing your anger. But somebody who conceals their anger is going to be someone who's angry and doesn't want anybody to know about it. And so you play it off like nothing's wrong, nothing's bothering me, but you're angry on the inside, and, it, and that's really bad. Next chapter, next week, we will talk about um, one of the reasons why we must deal with our anger is because of its effects on, um, on our body when we're angry. That's kind of interesting. So we'll talk about that. But, so we, we must deal with our anger. Then we talked about anger against God. And is it ever right or okay to be angry at God, according to our definition? No. Because remember, anger is a response of negative moral judgment against perceived evil. God does not do evil. He is not evil. So to, to be angry at God is to sin and to accuse him of being something other than what he is. Okay? So anger is not okay. What do we do then if we're angry at circumstances and things that we know is under God's control? What is the biblical answer to anger at God? Starts with an L. It's a book that has the word in it. Lament. Right? It's to lament. And what was a lament? So it's when we when we we do a really big Christian smile and we we say that everything's good and we just kind of grit our teeth and and white knuckle through our our lives, right? No, it's not it. Crying out to God. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's focusing on God and his attributes. And even when, in my experience, it doesn't seem like that's real or true. So when we lament, we are confessing to God that right now, I I don't feel like you are with me. I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I've been forsaken. I feel like I'm in this rut and that nobody cares or nobody... But... Your word says you never leave me or forsake me. You are faithful. Your word says that you love me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. So if you're willing to give your son, how much more would you be willing to love me, to, to walk with me through this circumstance? So we, we confess what's true of God, what we get from the word, and we express that it doesn't feel that way in our experience and then we, by faith, we, we choose to believe what God's word says and not what I'm feeling. That, that's what a lament is. And there might be a whole season, a years-long season of lamenting. What about in precatory psalms? What, sorry? In precatory psalms. What about? There's this whole really series of psalms where David's like, Lord, like, kill this person and curse his family. Mm-hmm. So where does that belong I would say that that was for David as Israel, because he's the king of Israel, which is, is God's covenant people in the Old Testament. So to, to come at Israel was to actually attack God. And so that, that's not the same with what, what we are. I'm not a, I'm not a uh, representative of God's um, kingdom here on earth. 
So that imprecatory psalms were for David, for, for Israel at that time. And then now we would, we would not pray imprecatory psalms. Um, we would want the justice of God to be done. And that's, that's a good thing to pray for. Um, so that when we, when we see things like um, genocides and abortion and, and things like that that are um, a rejection of God and his order, we would pray that God's justice would be done. That we would uh, have a, re- a time of repentance as a nation or as a, you know, whatever, whatever the situation is talking about. So we would pray for justice, um, knowing that if God's justice was all there was to God, then we would all be dead. Right? So God extends mercy, and we pray that people would repent and that, and that we would um, follow his prescribed will in the word. That's a good question. And so we've got... I lost my place. What, what were you even talking about? We asked the question about the three types of uh, three things that have to be true for your righteous anger. Um, we talked about anger against God. <clears throat> then we have anger against yourself. That's when you have done something bad or you haven't done something good that you should have done and sometimes that anger is turned inward. Um, we, we can be wrathful toward ourselves. And we talked a lot about that and how we need to really examine whether uh, we're angry about something that's in God's word. Are we setting up a different standard? Uh, we talked a lot of different examples. One example being if you, if you missed the shot in your, your state championship game and your team loses and you're just angry at yourself for weeks, and that, that's, a, that's an unrighteous thing to do. So to be angry with myself, because a good person, a good basketball player, football player, whatever that your sport is, would have been perfect. They would have made that shot. Or if you go back to some financial decision, um, you invested your money in, a, in what you thought was a wise way, you lost it all. Now you're angry at yourself because you know, I'm such an idiot because I wasted all that money or I, I lost all that money. I got laid off at a job. I got, I got a disease. And so now I'm, you know, we, we went through a lot of different situations where we can have this standard um, that we put up and we try to climb this ladder to what we think would be success. And when we fall down, we're angry at ourselves. Now, there is a, a right time for a time, it is right to be angry, right? Because anger is a, a negative moral judgment. So if I commit a sin, there should be some anger there. But where it becomes sinful is if I try to then punish myself for it. So what do you do with the anger? Anger When I'm angry with myself, I just sinned again, or I did this really mean thing to somebody, I'm angry with myself, and what do I do with it? What am I supposed to do with it? it to God. Yeah, we take it to the Lord, we confess it, we repent. And if it's something that is happening over and over again, yeah, we need to get some help. We need to go and get counsel. We need to um, have a plan. Put a plan in place where I'm, this is when this sin is happening and there's a whole path that we need to get on. But that initial anger, probably right to be angry at my sin. But we got to dig into it a little bit. Why am I, am I angry? Because I feel like I have to earn God's, God's righteousness or God's approval by my own righteousness. And so I mess up again and now I'm angry. Is that why you're angry? Because that's, that's a problem. Whose righteousness do we need? It's the righteousness of Christ, right? So we can't earn the forgiveness and righteousness of Christ that we go to the Lord, we confess our sins, we trust in the gospel. And now, that bring any questions about comments about that? Talked about a lot. We've learned a lot. So now, chapter nine is when we are discussing. Okay, how can I help somebody else with anger? They're having an anger issue. I've seen it multiple times. Seems to be a pattern. Every time they do this activity, they do that thing. They're getting angry. Maybe it's every time I drive and there's somebody slow. Some, there's, there's a problem here. There's some anger that keeps manifesting. How am I going to help somebody with that? So we, and we had made it. Oh, by the way, the first thing that, if you look at that first page of your handout, page one, a couple of, of texts there that, that make it so that we really need to 
ensure that I am looking out for my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't have the option, um, biblically, to just hope somebody else does it. If I see one of my friends, my brothers in Christ, in a pattern of anger, I don't have the option to just say, man, I hope Pastor Dave gets that one. I hope he goes over there and sees that. That's not good. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we are to look for look out for one another. If somebody's caught in a transgression, it's happening over and over again, I need to restore that brother. And how am I to do it? In a spirit of gentleness, and with humility, knowing that I could be tempted in the same way. So gentleness and humility, I'm going to bear his burden and help him. James 5, 19 and 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and something brings him back, someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from the wandering from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I think there's a quote. I forget who made it, but I think it's maybe John Owen made something that in, in every sin, there's the seed of total apostasy. Okay, so in every sin, if left undealt with can lead to that person walking away from the faith. So that that's that's humbling and it should cause me to, th- to think of myself like, well, okay, yikes, I'm getting angry whenever I get on the highway. That's, if that is left unaddressed, that could lead me in all kinds of bad ways. Now, when we, we fully confess and believe that the Lord causes his people to persevere in the faith. One of the ways that that happens is by brothers and sisters coming alongside and pointing out, hey, this is a problem. We need to deal with it. We need to repent, confess, and have a plan. Let's let's kill that sin. Okay? So, that was the longest intro ever. Letter letter A was then the developer relationship. So when we have a suspicion, this person seems to be struggling with, with anger, we, we needed to start with developing a relationship with them, to getting to know them, understanding their situation. Okay, uh, And that is B, data gathering. That's where we're starting off today on page two. So, what information should we be carefully listening for and asking questions about as we gather data? There's some anger. I've expressed some anger repeatedly. You're coming along to Brock. Okay, let's talk. What are you listening for as you ask questions that tell you about things? What are you listening for? to what circumstances are, are happening to where I might be blaming it on. What are the things that are provoking my anger? So you want to you figure out, okay, what is, what's making him angry or what's making her angry? So you, as you listen, as they speak, as you ask questions, you're trying to figure out what is currently right now making them angry. What about their past? Do they keep bringing up ways that they've been wronged? Yeah. So really, anything about their past. Sometimes the, the, there's cycles. We all have are getting cycles, and, and if there is something that they're maybe they're holding on to something that that's been done to them, that they have not been able to let go for whatever reason. Um, you, you might ask them a little bit about their family growing up. That might help you get an idea about what where this is coming from. Maybe it was that they had a mother or father who re- was a anger revealer and everything that <coughs> made them angry set them off there's explosions and fireworks or maybe it was the opposite and they had this angry person who just stuffed it and pretended like nothing was wrong so maybe, maybe some questions along those lines trying to figure out what, what their relationships are like with their family members with their close uh, whether that's in their 
marriage or their parenting. Maybe it's with their roommates or their, their friends. And also how they grew up. What are the things that might be helpful to know? Actually listening to what hurt them. So if we're looking specifically for ways to tell them that they're wrong or that their anger is dumb or whatever, then that's not actually listening to the person. That's just trying to talk over them and show them how smart you are. So actually listen to the person's reasons for anger. And maybe there is actually, maybe there actually is good reason for them to be angry. Maybe it's not all good, but maybe there's actually good reason for them to be angry. And so it's not just going to be, okay, your you're anger is being bad for this, this, this. It could be, okay, your anger is righteous or is fair in these areas. Mm-hmm. This being said, maybe you're not addressing it properly. <coughs> Yeah, so we talked a little bit last week about how you how you go into these conversations. When I when I've seen a brother or a sister in Christ struggling with anger, what my attitude is is wanting to love them and help them to grow closer to Christ. Right? If I'm going in thinking I I think I could fix them, you know, that's going to come out in the way that I speak to them, the questions I ask, the the accusations that I might make. So yeah, being careful to to be a, an active listener to actually be interested in what they're saying and not just jump into conclusions is very important to go in with some humility uh, and and the truth is there's likely going to be unrighteousness in our anger about 99% of the time usually there's going to be sinful anger in it it's just what what is it where is it um, so we're our perceptions are messed up we are tainted by sin so there, there's a lot of that going on. So there, it is going to be a, a, a way to walk through with that person and f- try to find where the anger is going wrong, um, knowing that my anger goes wrong a lot. And so, yep, going in with humility. What, it might also be helpful to think about what, they're, what they might be afraid of, so things that are, that are in the future that they're nervous or anxious about. Okay, if they're, if they're anxious about retirement, then anything with money and, and work is going to maybe be a trigger for some anger, right? Um, if they're um, anxious for the salvation of their children, salvation of their parent, salvation of someone, it could be a very good concern. But when in something messes with that, uh, it can provoke anger. We can be angry about it very easily. So knowing what their fears are, what are they afraid of that might happen? would be a good thing to, to know and figure out. Robert Jones has a quote there. He says, why are these matters so important? This is the data ga- gathering questions and things. Because angry people are frequently defensive and mistrusting. They will not open their lives to you unless you show genuine desire to hear their stories, including their hardships. Getting on board with them opens the door to further opportunities to instruct and persuade. In other words, to gain their ears, they need to know that you understand and that you care. <coughs> okay, so letter C in this data gathering and, and getting to know them is under understanding the specific incidents that are making them angry. So you're asking questions with humility and gentleness to figure out okay, what's, what exactly is happening that that you are responding in anger against. So there's some bullet points there. He has uh, we're asking the the W questions, the who, what, when, where, why, and the H, the how questions about the anger incidents. Uh, so you're asking questions. Who who said that? Who did that? What what did you say happened before then? So you're you're asking questions to figure out what happened from their perception, their perspective what happened before and during their anger episode. Are there patterns? And then you're also trying to trying to discern with humility, is this person being forthcoming with me? Are they being honest? Are they hiding things, omitting certain parts of it? I mean, yeah, I was, my wife, just she does this, this, and this, and then I'm really angry. And they omit the part that they punched a hole in the wall, and then they threw the toaster and then it got smashed so yeah omitting that part I was just I was just frustrated so you, you're trying to evaluate those kinds of things and asking kind of direct questions being humble about it 
looking for patterns. <coughs> Observing behavior and speech also provides good information. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. So what's in their heart will come out. So you listen to them. And if the person is receptive, or in the case of a more formal counseling relationship, assign resources and homework. There are great um, questions in the appendix of this one, the appendix A. There are six different kind of studies that you can help, that can, might help you. You may not give them this copy, but you might take a couple of questions and, and might get you started with somebody. But there are a whole lot of things. Journaling a problem incident, inventory of personal felt needs and rights. Um, there's James 4 and the cause of conflicts. Controlling your anger behavior, Bible study, assignment from Proverbs, and pictures of God's forgiveness of his people. And the last one is battling bitterness with the gospel. So that they're really helpful, depending on the, the person that you're working with, they might need those questions to study. Let's look at James 4, because it, it seems to be he keeps blaming it on his wife, or she keeps blaming it on her child, or he blames it on his teammate or his classmate. Well, where, where, do anger, where does anger come from? You go to James 3 and into James 4, and you help them walk through that. Like, oh, I'm angry because I have desires and motives here, and when those are not being met, I get angry. It's not about him or her. It's not about the weather. It's not about the other drivers. It's me. I have this expectation that I should be allowed to have the free lane and all the green lights to get to my destination. If that doesn't happen, I'm angry. That, that is a belief that maybe I might have, or maybe, maybe not. That, that if, I, if I get stopped by a train or, or something, so those, that, that is because I have a desire and a belief in my heart that I'm <coughs> holding on to. And if I'm not getting it, Evil trains, evil. Tra so there's there's that responsive anger. I mean, they do time it just right to come. Yeah. Yeah. It's always it's always me and nobody if else. Any, if anyone's timing that, Malik, who would be timing that? I don't know, but we have a God with the sense of humor. The, the sovereign <laughs> God who knows that you and I need to work on some patience. Okay. So we have understanding the, the specific anger incidents. We also need to remind him, and this is a, a crucial part, uh, and really any kind of, when somebody's down about anything, uh, it's crucial to give them hope, to make sure that, that, that they know that in Christ, big if, if they're in Christ, they have hope. They don't have to keep being angry. Okay, we, can, we can, in Christ, have victory over that sin. So, and there's several scriptures there. Let's just look at Romans 6, because that's an awesome one for a variety of issues. This will give anybody hope. Oops. Really, you can walk, walk with them through the whole chapter of Romans chapter 6. It talks about being dead to the sins that used to dominate us, that used to enslave us, because we are in Christ. Look at verse 6, right there. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So this person might just be thinking, that's just how, I'm, that's just how I am. I'm just angry. When I don't sleep well, that's just what happens. When I don't have my coffee. No, there, that's an enslavement mentality. I'm enslaved to this sin. But if I think about being united with Christ, that's been, that's been done away with. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we will believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And then the famous verses, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought to, from death to life and your members to God 
as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And we can continue. I mean, the whole the whole chapter is just wonderful for helping us to uh, cleanse, kind of renew our minds. We need to really focus on that. This brother or sister likely needs to understand that they don't have to respond in anger that way. And that in Christ is the only way that he can change that, that she can change that. Outside of that, you're just replacing you know, one bad behavior for a different bad behavior. Okay? You're maybe just going from venting your anger to, to cramming it in. So there's the only way to be free from that pattern of sin is to be is to renew your mind in Christ and walk by the Spirit knowing that I don't have to sin like that anymore. There's freedom in Christ. Um, then we can go on through those other others, other texts. First, uh, Second Peter 1 is, is um, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things, meaning patience, gentleness, in times of anger, strength to help us. He's given us all things. First uh, John 1, 9, there's forgiveness, and we have Christ as our advocate with the Father when we do sin. So there's hope. We need to offer hope to this person. And finally, uh, Robert Jones talks about remembering the, the powerful impact of your example. And he went through some texts there. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 um, is when Jesus talks about himself being gentle and lowly in heart. Matthew 11, I'll just read it to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest to your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As Christians, we should be like Christ and be able to tell people, hey, you can learn from me. You may not say this, but, but by your gentle and humble um, manner, as you go through your life, as you talk with them in a humble way, loving them, that without saying anything, that's a powerful example. Okay, Especially over time as we're dealing with anger, and, and there's probably going to be some anger outbursts in the conversations about anger. And in our example, Christ-like example of being humble, gentle, lowly in heart, not taking offense when they say something sharp toward me. And not responding how they might respond is powerful. Wisdom from above. James 3, 17 and 18. Talks about the wisdom from above is gentle, peaceable. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So being wise, biblically wise, wisdom from above, being peaceable, gentle, merciful, impartial, sincere, <clears throat> gracious speech. Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. In Colossians 4, 6, let your speech be seasoned with salt, gracious. Okay, going on down the line, wise living. Oh, the whole book of Proverbs, but um, let's look at Proverbs 13 real quick. This is, and again, this is the example that we're looking to set for somebody uh, without really necessarily saying a word along these lines. 1320, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So hopefully, as we, if, if we are wise and godly in our, in our conduct, people who are around us are going to grow in wisdom. He who walks with the wise will be wise. Comments or scriptures that come to mind on that topic? Okay. So, we've done the data gathering. We've kind of learn some things about them. We're genuinely interested in helping them, to loving them. Um, we've given them some hope in the gospel. Step number two is to help the person root out the sinful heart beliefs and motives. And this is where that James 3 is going to come in really handy, right? So this is what the Lord says about 
uh, through James about quarrels and why we get angry. Look at James chapter 3. We'll read it, and then I want you to be listening to it. And what would you highlight for somebody who's angry as we read through this? What are the things that you want to make sure that you point out and help that person understand? James 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4. So what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or you just, do you suppose that it is a, to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Stop there. What things would you want to highlight for a person who's angry? Where do you find that? Um, I mean, first one just talks about the passions that we have that are at work, mm-hmm. and then it lists them out. Yeah. So verse one is a really important one. So you might <coughs> say, as you're walking through this, hey, read read verse one for for me. <coughs> as they are reading, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That's my wife. No, it is not. Is it not this that your passions, your passions? are at war within you. It's like my kid when he disrespects me. No. Your passions and desires. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spit it on your passions. So how would you respond to someone who says, Yes, yeah, we've, and we've talked a lot about the, there's desires that are sinful, desires that we should not desire, and it's actually just a sin to desire them, and there's good things, like, like so the Bible says children obey your parents and the Lord, so what, what do we do then when we have a good desire, but I'm getting angry at it, what is that suggesting? Yeah, so let's let's think about this for a second. If I am angry at my child because they this child has disobeyed me, and my response of anger and yelling, or maybe it's just the way that I talk to them is is just kind of cutting them down. What what does that suggest is my motive in wanting their obedience? How dare you do that to me? If if I really want to be viewed as a great parent, or I really want them to honor me, and I <clears throat> want them to do what I say, all good desires. But if I want it because just for its own purpose, because I think 
I'm pretty worthy to be obeyed. That will be a different response than if I know that the Bible tells my child to submit to their parents, to obey their parents and more for this is right. And if they don't obey, they're sinning against God. They're rejecting his plan and his purpose for their life. And they're storing up wrath for themselves by rejecting him. It's a very different response than how dare you make me look bad at church or at the store. So a good desire when held too tightly, when clung to, and you make it that your ultimate desire is sinful. That is still a desire that has gone bad. So that is part of verse 3. When you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. I'm asking, I want this obedience for this child because I have this passion that I need to be respected and admired and whatever. So that's a wrong desire. That's a good desire that's gone bad because I want it too much. And also, Mike, if you know them well and have been able to observe them, you might also ask if... Do you feel you're setting a good example for your child? Because I've seen many situations and have had family members that say, don't do as I do, do as I tell you to. Well, you have to set an example or they're not going to do what you tell them to because, well, geez, mom and dad get by with it. Yeah. It's always a good thing to, to examine how you're speaking to authorities in your life. Right? As an adult, how do I speak of leadership at church or leadership in the government? How do I speak of my boss? Even to your children. Mm-hmm. In front of, yeah, especially in front of the kids. If I'm bad-mouthing the authorities in my life, it's kind of a problem. Right? Um, now, not that you've got to be a perfect parent, of course. We can go too far on that side and say, well, I can't ask my kid to do anything because I haven't done it perfectly. No, that's... We're, we're calling the children to obey the Lord. And I do that from the authority of Scripture, not the authority of, I'm your dad, you better do it. No, it, it's, okay, sweetheart, the Lord calls you to do this. And if you don't do this, you're sinning against him. The wages of sin is death. I don't want that for you. I want you to be reconciled to God. I want you to be right with the Lord. And we can only do that through the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. And you walk through the gospel with him. And that is a very different response. Now, it might still be anger that drove that, right? Anger can be good. Anger, we should get angry at something. So my, my daughter is sinning. That should ha- I should respond in anger. But that doesn't mean I'm yelling and throwing things. My anger will be constructive. And it will cause me to get on her level and walk her through the gospel. And the, and the commands of God that he's given to her. So that that is still maybe initiated by anger. But it is a lot different than, I can't believe you did that to me. Didn't I raise you better than that? So there's a lot of things that we can do because really when we get down to it, the desire is that they just need to love me and adore me and they just need to honor me and they should never contradict me or shouldn't make me look bad. It's a very different different motivations. And I mean, you can apply that to marriage, you can apply it to friendships, you can apply it to anything. Right? We can want good things and when we cling to them too tightly, they become ultimate or dominating things and so where I am willing to commit mental murder to because you're not letting me get what I want. For referencing another verse in that passage where we try to get to heart motives, um, is verse 16 of chapter 3. Because I think oftentimes angry people can feel like the world is super chaotic and everything's out of control. And so it says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder mm-hmm. and um, every vile practice. And so. Um, they can accuse the circumstances like everything is chaotic out of control that's why I'm angry and showing them well that chaos often comes from the jealousy or selfish ambition mm-hmm. first from your heart mm-hmm. yeah that's a good point any other comments Ron Paul Tripp had a really good summary for what we're talking about here a good desire like my kids to be obedient 
three. Part of this is that you may have to teach him or her some theology. The person you are working with will likely need some instruction and training on who God is. Sin generally has a misunderstanding or a rejection of God and his, or his word. So it's a, a, a rejection. All sin, right, is a, at, at best a, I shouldn't say at best, it's at least a, a devaluing of God a thoughtlessness about God. And at worst, it's an outright rejection of God. Right? So there, there's something that they need to learn about the Lord. So what, what could that be? The first thing that they make sure that they understand is God is the righteous judge of your offenders. So a lot of times it's, they did this, X, Y, and Z. And okay, sometimes that's going to be very true. Some people have been wronged deeply. So you, you walk them through. Romans 12, 14 through 21 would be an example. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. By the way, as, a, as the one giving the, the biblical soul care, maybe you need to weep with that person because they have been legitimately hurt. Okay? Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how can that, that text be comforting to an angry heart? It shows that God's in control, and we can back off and let him handle the situation if we are submitted to him. For that person who wronged you, abused you, neglected you, abandoned you, betrayed you, fill in the blank, legitimate pain, God is the judge. And no one is going to get away with anything. No one will get away with anything. So that person who wronged you, God is the avenger, right? Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. If you, and if you know the Lord, he is all-knowing. He knows all things. He sees all things. He knows every motive of every heart, and nothing will go unpunished. No wrong. <coughs> Now, that also applies to my own sins, right? So look at the next one. Make sure the person knows that God is, mer he is the merciful forgiver and the righteous judge of your sins. Matthew 18. Starting in verse 21, <clears throat> Jesus tells a parable here. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, 
the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, which would have been un, it's unbelievable. You can't, he's not going to pay this back. There's no way. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So far, so good. Awesome. Good story. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, <coughs> began to choke him. By the way, a hundred denarii is not a small sum of money, but it's not even close to the 10,000 talent debt that he himself owed. Seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants said, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported their, to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Yikes. What truths from that text should we focus on with an angry brother or sister? Verse 35. Yeah. So if you don't forgive, that, that's an interesting. He doesn't just say, My father will do that to each of you if you don't forgive. I think it's interesting he gives that extra phrase on there. If you don't forgive your brother from your heart, it's like, like you've got to forgive. If you don't, my father will do that to you. Yeah, that would be important. The other thing to emphasize, too, is, is the parable. Is, I mean, it's not an equal, completely equal um, correlation, but the Father is merciful. <coughs> he will forgive an unimaginably large debt. So he will forgive me of my sins. Okay? And then the reason... Stop here. Number eight. So why do we need these reminders? We, we do that because when we're angry, we're usually thinking about other people. right? We're, they, what they did to me, what these circumstances did to me, what um, my mom and dad did in my past, all, all that kind of stuff. We're thinking about it. But what we need to remember is that I have sinned. Also, I am in need of forgiveness. I need, I have rebelled against the Lord. Okay, so, We'll stop there again, and we'll pick up um, on God is your good, loving, and sovereign Father on page three next week. Thanks, everybody.